Could you open your Bibles, please, a second as well before Reuben gets up to share the word? Could you open your Bibles, please, a second? Chronicles 7, 14, very familiar passage. Probably most of us could quote it by now. But it's always good to open the scriptures and just hold it in our hands. There's an anointing on the word of God. <clears throat> so before we read it and pray into it, I um, wanted to share with you that last night I heard a segment by uh, Jonathan Kahn. He was speaking on the judgment of God that we are facing as a nation because of killing over 61 million babies, innocent children. Actually, if you, you know, if you think of aborting in the womb, somehow it doesn't hit you as strong as innocent children. And uh, that's what he kept using. He kept saying, we, we have killed, actually now the number's close to 65 million innocent children. So we're looking at Second Chronicles 7. Second Chronicles 7, not going to get there yet. So I want to give you a few of the facts that he gave. Some of these I hadn't heard before, and I, I, it really brought it home to me that we are, we are in a time of judgment, and it could get worse if we don't adequately repent. And I know we've been repenting, we've been speaking about it, we've been encouraging all of you, and we've been repenting, but I don't know that our repentance has been significantly enough yet. And so I want to encourage us all, let's continue to bring ourselves before the throne of God, a holy God, and repent on behalf of our nation. And you know what? Um, our tax money is helping with abortion. So really, we're all complicit with this. Have you thought about it that way? We're all guilty. We've all been part of shedding innocent blood. So uh, these are a few of the facts he gave. It was on January 22nd, 2020, when our media headlines told us that the coronavirus had come to the shores of America. That's the same day when America legalized killing children years before. It's a year to the day when New York passed the law of killing children up to the point of birth, the exact same day, one year before. And the Lord always does things. That's one way you can follow prophetically in Scripture. What is happening, and when did it happen, and, and what can we expect to kind of happen next? Abortion is the sin of the older against the younger. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it is. It's those of us who are alive killing those that are not yet out of the womb. So it's the sin of the older against the, the younger. The coronavirus strikes the older people the hardest. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah says that judgment returns to the place that is at the center of the evil. New York City is the center of abortion, and New York City is the center of the plague, the coronavirus plague. The virus went to the place where abortion started. Abortion was introduced by New York to the nation in 1970 before it was legalized. It took a couple of years to get it legalized, but it was introduced by New York in 1970. The Jubilee, as you know, is 50 years. That's a, a Hebrew term that every 50 years there is a Jubilee, and uh, their freedom comes in the Jubilee, but there's also the negative sign of Jubilee, and that is that judgments can come on a nation in the Jubilee. 
So 2020 is the jubilee of judgment and the jubilee of abortion in 50 years. It took two days to pass and legalize abortion 50 years ago. The dates were April 9th and 10th. The peak of the plague this year was in New York City on April 9th and 10th, the Jubilee year, Jubilee of Judgment. So the key verse for us to stand on and obey is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. So let's look at that. Look at verse 13. God says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence, that means a plague, among my people. Okay, stop for a minute. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Now that speaks of famine and food shortages, which have been all over the world. Famine and food shortages have been everywhere. We've had the greatest plague of locusts this year in many, many years. And then we were in the midst of a worldwide plague. So what's happening is all these judgments are converging at the same time. This is significant. God is serious. That's what this is. God is serious. So I'm going to read again. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, when there's food shortage, when I command the locusts to devour the land, that is happening on continents, not just in Africa. It's spread to Asia. It's spread to the Middle East. It's the worst locust infestation in, in decades. If I send, when I send pestilence, plagues, coronavirus among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so, you know, it's really in the hands of the church if we can turn God's judgment back. We are the ones that need to humble ourselves before God and pray. And, um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a political issue, guys. It is a fear of God issue. It is a judgment issue. It is a righteousness issue. And if we get our eyes only on political things on this level and we don't see what God Almighty is seeing and doing, then we've missed it. Yes, we need to vote. Yes, we need to be biblical about all this. But we need to see what God is saying. And he's saying, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And, and uh, so I read the book of Judges a few days ago, and I noticed how the, the Israelites would turn away from God and they'd worship other idols. They'd even sacrifice their children. And then they'd be taken over by an, an enemy nation who would oppress them, kill them, steal their food, take their freedoms. And then they'd cry out to God and they'd cry out to God. And he would eventually hear and he would respond by sending a deliverer, deliver them. They would have freedom again for 10 years, 40 years, a season of time. I'm not sure that we have really cried out to God enough. You know, I think some of us have, have been repenting. Some of us have done some fasting. We're repenting for our own sin. We're repenting for the sin of our city, for the sin of our nation. Are we crying out to God? I mean, do y'all ever just raise your voice and say, God, have mercy on us. Lord, we cry out to you 
for deliverance. We don't expect it from the Republicans. We don't expect it from the Democrats. We don't expect it from the chief justices. We expect it from you. That's where we need to, we need the hand of God to come on our nation again because we have so sinned against him. We took him out of our schools and, you know, his hand has just come further and further off of our nation. And now we are suffering all these impending judgments of God that end up in a grand crescendo of destroying our nation. I think we've got to pray, you guys. We've got to pray. So, and this is not opposing to the love of God. This is the love of God, that God continues to have mercy. He's given us so much time. But we've got to take this serious now. And so... Um, I, I want to lead us in prayer, but I want, to, I want to appeal to you to spend time in your personal life, your personal prayer times, in your homes, with your families, with your spouses, and pray. Make it serious. Don't just bow your head, and as you pray over your food, you also say, Lord, bless America. I want to encourage you, get on your knees, get on your face, and say, God, if you don't turn, if you don't bring repentance to our land, if you don't turn us back to yourself, if we don't really call on you, we have no hope. God is our only hope. So this is a critical time. We're facing destruction or redemption. And the final shakings before a final judgment are these. A nation that's given to division within the land disorder within the land, natural or man-made calamities, and economic disaster. We've seen all that too. And so abortion is one of the main, one of the main issues. Perversion is one of the main issues. Idolatry is one of the main issues. Man, we've got all of that. We've legalized that in our nation. God forgive us. Yeah, speak up, Galen, if you're going to. There's a lot of God's graciousness, but part of the destruction of America has been through the, the, the division and race. And this verse is, it really gets me. It doesn't say that you have to be white to pray. It doesn't say you have to be black to pray. It doesn't say you have to be Muslim to pray. It doesn't say you have It says everyone can pray. Yeah, that's right. So repentance precedes revival. And where there had been revivals breaking out, these were the pockets where people were crying out to God. We've been praying for revival in Waco. We need to be crying out to God in Waco, not just for relief, but for deliverance. We don't need relief. We need deliverance from a heart that's gone astray, from rebellion, from stubbornness. We need deliverance from that. We need the fear of God to come on us where we turn fully back to him. So when we cry out to him, he does respond. So I'm, I know we're not going to give the whole morning to prayer this morning, and so I'm going to pray briefly. But I want to ask you, please take it and continue to pray. All right. Yeah, I don't want to take more of Reuben's time, but let's pray together. 
Lord, we bow before you and we confess that we are sinners and our nation is a sinning nation. And we have turned our back on you in so many areas, so many ways for so many years. Lord, we've, we have done what you detest, what are abominations to you. We have legalized. We've made a covenant with death in our nation. We've legalized killing. And as a result, suicide is up. Death of all forms is up. Early death is up. Homicide is up. Lord, would you have mercy? And would you, would you deliver us from the bondage we've brought ourselves into? Lord, would you cancel our covenant with death? Lord, we apologize to you for it. And Lord, our nation just needs you. We are so broken. We're so divided. We have so many problems. We have so many needs. We have so many hurting people. And so we, as your people this morning, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we say, Lord, please have mercy on our nation. Lord, we beg of you to give us the gift of repentance. We beg of you to turn the church back to yourself, to deliver the church from hypocrisy, to deliver the church from being lukewarm, to deliver the church from being politically correct. Lord, we want to be correct before the Lord our God. We want to walk in the fear of God and embrace the judgments of God that will bring righteousness into the earth. But Lord, if you can turn us back to you so that you don't have to destroy us, that's what our prayer is. Because so many in our land don't know you. So many still are not born again of the Spirit of God. And Lord, so for them, we're not praying for our comfort. We're not praying for our relief. We're praying for them. We're praying salvation to every man, woman, and child that does not know you yet. Because it's not in your heart. It's not in your will that any should perish. You want all to come to salvation. That's what we want. Lord, we pray that America will become a God-fearing nation where revival is in every state, sweeps over this nation, makes the church hot on fire for you again. Lord, would you pour out of your spirit upon all flesh in our nation again. Turn us back to yourself. Would you be glorified here? Lord, would you cancel the things we have put in place that have removed your hand off of our nation? Would you cancel them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you be glorified here? Would you be lifted up? We pray your kingdom will come and your will will be done in this nation. In Jesus' name. And now, Lord, we ask, would you speak to us through Reuben? Would you... Would you anoint him and empower him to speak your word with authority? May it be grafted deep into our lives and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that's some good preaching right there. I've already got it going, babe. Uh, Uh, let, let me ask a simple question first of all. Um, has anyone gone to the senior adult page on the Highland website? How, how many have gone to the senior adult page on the Highland? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, okay. Half time you've gone. Okay. How many of you have gone to the recorded media button and actually listened to one of the messages that we've had, there's one, there's two, three, four, five, okay. 
because uh, I'm looking to make a decision as to whether or not we continue that because this piece of equipment in the back has been the trial of our faith <laughs> from time to time. And Bill and I have even had uh, private seminars on how to be able to use that wonderfully antiquated. Of course, it fits in here. It's a, a bit on the aged side. It's seasoned. But man, to try to get this going, and, and there have been, I would say, about a third of all the times when we've recorded, it has not recorded. And that's been really frustrating when I go and look to have it transferred and this and that. So anyway, I just wanted to get an idea of how many of you are actually uh, taking advantage of that opportunity that, that's on the website. We have most of Hebrews and, and uh, now doing Ephesians, so... Bless the Lord that is blessing someone and a few of you. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 3. As Bill introduced that I'm going to be sharing from verses 14 through 19 or through 18. I added uh, four more. We're going to go through the rest of the chapter through 21. But this is such, this is Paul's prayer. Wow, what a holy holy prayer for us, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Let's pray again. Father, we're just so grateful for this man that had an anointing to even be able to pray a prayer that would last for millennia. This prayer is holy. It is powerful. And Lord, just as real as it was for Paul when he prayed that in that Ephesian jail cell, it's just as real for us today, right here, right now, in Waco, Texas. And Lord, I just ask that your spirit would come in a wonderful way and personalize this prayer to each of us. And make it real as real as the sound of the shofar to our hearing today. 
Speak now, Lord, I pray. Amen. Just to back up a little from last week, uh, Janet had shared in verse 13 how Paul had written about his sufferings. And keep this scripture open because we're going to be continually coming back to, from verse to verse. But in verse 13, Paul writes about his suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he, he felt a sense of honor and privilege to be able to suffer for Jesus. And he's telling the Ephesians not to lose heart at everything that Paul is enduring. Now, suffering for Christ is something that we know little about. And we're not only ignorant, worse than that, the truth is we dread it. But this apostle to the Gentiles is modeling something very powerful. Paul is cherishing the opportunity to more deeply identify with his Savior, our Lord. And in verse 14, we see that immediately after his comment about suffering, he bows his knees immediately in humility before God, calling him the Father of our Lord Jesus. And then look at verse 15. Paul mentions that all of created life is named after God the Father. I like how in Genesis 1.27 it says that God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So that means that God put a part of himself in every human conceived. And this is why all of life is precious to God. From conception through gestation up to and beyond birth, God is always for life. Amen. Amen. Always. But something spectacular happens when a person is born a second time. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. They receive God's family name. And the Greek word for family is the word patria, and which is the feminine expression from the root word pater, meaning father. Now, whenever I hear the word pater, are there any former Catholics among us? I'm the only one. There we go. I see that hand. Well... I, whenever I see this word pater, immediately it reminds me to the years that I was an altar boy with the cassock and the white surplus and holding my hands so perfect. And the Catholic laughs. And I was required in those days to memorize the Lord's Prayer in Latin. Pater Noster, quies in celi. Santi vigetur nomen tuum, viat voluntas tua, sicudat nos dibidibus debitoribus notres, et nenos inducas in tentacionem, se libera nos amao. Amen. Praise the Lord for the interpretation of that. Ah, Pater Noster, our Father. You know, we only get God's name if we go through God's adoption process. 
We must be born again of the Spirit. That's the only way. And only through Jesus are we adopted into God's family. Now hear this. Every man and every woman has God's image, but they do not all have his name. The family of God includes all who have believed in him in the past, in the present, and even those who will believe in him in the future. And we are family because we have the same father. And he is the source of all creation and the rightful owner of everything and everyone. Since he's the creator. And then look to verse 16. Paul prays that they'll be strengthened with might in the inner man. Now the inner man is the heart, the soul within us. He prays that we'd be strengthened with might. And that simply means to be mightily strengthened. We all need to be strengthened with might through the spirit for walking in the spirit rather than the flesh, for the power to resist temptation and the power to endure persecution. In verses 17 through 19, Paul comes to the crescendo of his prayer, centering on the love of Christ that is reflected perfectly in the love of God our Father. And the apostle longs for each of us in God's family to be rooted and to be grounded in love, which means to be firmly established and firmly secured in this love of the Father. Knowing and believing the Father's love for us, this is our goal and our destination. Knowing the Father's love. Because to be established in his love is to become like Jesus. And God's love is able to reach every corner of our experience. God's love is wide. It covers the breadth of our personal experiences and it reaches out to the whole world. God's love is long. It continues the entire length of our lives, even to our last breath. God's love is high. It reaches to the heights of our celebrations and our worship and our joy. And his love is deep. It reaches to the depths of discouragement, despair, suffering, and even death. So friends, when you feel alone or isolated, remember that you are never, ever, ever without God's love. Pastor John recently preached a series on this love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Well, we're looking at love from a different angle today. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the endless love of God is is far-reaching. It extends in every direction. It is wide. It is long. It is high. And it is deep to a limitless measure. And God fervently and compassionately loves each of his family members. So remember this. When you need mercy, he loves you with compassion. When you've been wounded, he loves you with tender healing and understanding love. 
when you need his comfort, he releases his comforting love to you. When you need a friend to listen to the depths of your heart, he is quick to listen. And when you need to be lifted up and to be held close, he reaches out to you with both arms to draw you to himself with a father's perfect heart. Our Father, the Almighty God, says these reassuring words to each of us here today from Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold tightly your right hand, saying to you, do not be afraid. I'm here to help you. His love for you overflows in every direction at every moment. His love is fresh. It's surprising at times. And it is always never ending. And you are more cherished by God than you will ever, ever know in this life. And Paul concludes this significant and awesome prayer by praying that you and I might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a statement. I pray that you would be filled to the fullness of God. Well, that should explode all of us. Amazing. The fullness of God includes all that he is. That's the fullness. And it's expressed in the complete picture of the Godhead as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So all that the Father is, all that Jesus is, and all that the Holy Spirit, this is the fullness of God filling our lives in a human vessel that should be overflowing with that fullness continually. Our problem is that too often we're on the empty side rather than on the full overflowing too often. Nonetheless, this prayer is meant to help us come to the place that God has eternally destined for us right now in 2020. And Paul's desire is for each of us to be fully immersed, fully immersed, fully baptizo into the nature of God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit. And I tell you this, folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Getting filled up to the fullness of God. Here's your homework this week. I want you to just take that little phrase, filled to the fullness of God, and have some time of just mulching on that. You know, like a cow out in a pasture. You ever seen a cow? You, hmm. uh, it's called chewing the cud. Out of nowhere, he has an empty mouth and also, and he starts to chew. And he starts to recollect and go over and over. Let this soak into you this week. God's design is that the fullness of God be your inheritance. To all the fullness of God. We can't even comprehend that. It's hard to even say it.
And this apostle's prayer for the Ephesians then is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves and for others right now today. This prayer is eternal. And knowing the love of the Father, knowing Jesus and sonship, and knowing the Holy Spirit's power, this is the combination of the essence of the greatest fullness. I love how the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love which God has for us. God is God is God is God is love. God is love. And he or she who abides in love abides in God and God in him and her. It is possible to know of his love cognitively and yet not believe it for ourselves personally. You know what the Bible calls that? Unbelief. I know that God is love, but I don't really know it for me personally. It's that thought that kept God's people from the promised land because they were filled with unbelief that it was their personal inheritance. God's love is your personal inheritance. And not just to receive it, but to receive it in full portion. In full. That's why John writes that we we have known. We, We really have known it. But more than that, we have believed it with our hearts. We've known and believed this love that God has for us. And I'll tell you, we all know in a very tiny part. But God wants to enlarge that, even to a place of fullness. You know, in the summer of 1740, one of America's greatest theologians, Jonathan Edwards, he shared a sermon exclusively that summer of 1740 with the children of the congregation to which he was pastoring there in Massachusetts. And he put all the children together. They were ages one through 14. And he was sharing with them from the text of Matthew 10, 37. And he was stressing loving God more than loving mom and dad when he said this, there is no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of God Almighty. Now he's speaking to children. Our Father. It is expressed perfectly in the heart of his Son, the Savior, the only Savior, Jesus. And the love and the grace, the favor that were demonstrated in the heart of Jesus would exceed all the love and all the grace that is in the entire world. It would compare to the radiance of the sun compared to a single candle. Psalm 145.3 declares, Great is the Lord 
and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And several verses earlier in this letter that we've been looking at in Ephesians 3, Paul says, and this grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, 8. Well, this brings us to verse 20. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly more. <laughs> what a great phrase. Exceedingly abundantly more. And above all that we can ask or even imagine. I'll tell you, I, I kind of see Paul. Remember those old-fashioned uh, dynamite things where you push it down? and He's in the process of pushing down the lever. He wants to blow us away. He wants to have our limited human expression to be so moved beyond and out of itself that we begin to see God where there are no words expressed. It's just total awe and wonder. who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more and above all that we can ask or even imagine according to that Holy Spirit power that works within us. Paul is expressing that Almighty God, our Father in heaven, is able to do not only beyond whatever we ask of him, but he's able to infinitely do anything that all of us can ask together or even imagine. There is a greatness of God that's impossible to communicate with words because there is no limit to God. None. All of past, beyond, beyond. I mean, somehow it's almost easier for us to think of eternity in this direction, forward. But to think of eternity in that direction, and in this direction, and in that direction, this direction, that direction. I mean, he's everything encompasses all in all. <sighs> no limit to our God. And Paul ends his prayer in verse 21. Prayer is best concluded with adoration. And praise to our God. All glory, all glory be to him, our father. This is who he's thinking about. All glory to him, our father. In the church and in Messiah Jesus. To all and through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't know how he could have ended it more, more perfectly. In all and through all, to all generations, forever and ever and ever. Amen. What an anointing was on this man. And think of it, he wrote this in a prison cell. I think a part of my, huge part of my prayer was, oh God, please get me out of here. Deliver me from this evil. Paul took advantage of the evil to have God's kingdom come into that cell. And a release of revelation knowledge to a greater dimension of who God is that he could try and express it 
in words. Well, I've tried expressing it in words today. I feel like I've probably gotten that far off the ground. But it's limitless of what he has for each one of us. My prayer is that the Lord would expand my heart in these days, in, these, in this serious time that we're in. Lord, I want you to just open up my heart more that I can see the, the depths of things that shouldn't be in there. How can I see unless you open? How can I be convicted unless you do that? So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come upon all of us, oh God. Every one of us this morning. I pray that we turn our thoughts and hearts toward you in a gracious way. You're the God of all flesh. Thank you that when we are born of the spirit, we get your name as adopted sons and daughters. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that your love was perfected in the life of your son. And Lord, you're in the process of doing the same in us right now. Will you forgive us when we're slow, when we're unwilling, when we are resistant? We know so little of your greatness. Lord, that's such a good comparison. The radiance of the sun in comparison to one candle. But Lord, we want to be filled with thanksgiving this morning. We want to thank you for your merciful love. We want to thank you for your compassion. We want to thank you for your healing and your understanding love. God, thank you for your comforting love when we are distraught. I want you to just thank the Lord right now, right where you are. Thank him for something that happened this week something that he's done sometime in this year in your life, just start thanking the Lord of what you've seen him do in someone else. He hears every whisper. And he loves thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Right now, right where you are, just start thanking the Lord for things that you've seen him do in your life, things you've seen him do in other people's lives. Holy Father, we just we want to thank you that you're reaching out to each of us right here this morning. We are so limited to imagine, to even imagine the fullness of God. Jesus, you were that in perfection. You were the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And Father, I just sense right now you, you're extending both of your arms out to each of us, your sons and daughters this morning with a perfect Father's heart and perfect Father's love. And you're simply saying what Jesus said, come unto me. Come. So, Father, with that invitation, 
uh, we conclude this morning. We do come. We welcome your presence. We welcome your embrace. And we reach out our hand to you. And just as you promised, I will take your right hand. Do not be afraid. Thank you that you're going, going through this entire week with us, step by step, holding our hand. And we thank you for the comfort and the grace and the love that comes with the gentle squeeze of the Father. Blessed be your glorious name from this day forth and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, have a great week, all of you.